Hi, and welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Matt Pincus here in Washington, D.C. Today, we are excited to highlight another NACIO 2020 award-winning project. In a moment, we'll be speaking with Norman Farley, the Chief of Public Safety Communications at the Maryland Department of Information Technology. We'll talk with Norm about the Maryland First Responder Radio System Team, also called Maryland First. Let's get right to it. Norm, thanks for joining us on NACIO Voices today. Thanks, Amy, Matt. Thanks for having me, and um, I'm glad to be here and answer your questions. All right. Well, like a good podcast host, I looked you up on LinkedIn before our conversation. You have an interesting background that combines public safety and information technology. Tell us about your career briefly and how you ended up in your current position. It has been an interesting career. Um, I'm a retired naval officer, and is my first assignment as a junior officer, newly commissioned ensign. I was uh, the communications officer on the USS Garcia, which is an, an old Garcia-class frigate. Well, I wanted to be the comm officer because there are two COs on a ship: the commanding officer and the communications officer, and. Those are the two people that know what's going on, one, because the, the planning officer gets all the information, but the communication officer, he gets all the, the messages, and he gives them to the CO. And so that was one reason why I wanted to get into the field, because I wanted to know what was going on. And, uh, and that progressed. That was a, a subspecialty in the Navy. Later, in a future assignment in the Navy, I was, the, uh, was called the Flag Communications Officer for a Cruiser Destroyer Group 12 in the Eisenhower Carrier Battle Group. And that was a very great, uh, I love that tour. That was uh, running communications for a carrier and all its escorts. We were deployed to the Med, to the Red Sea at the start of uh, the, the Gulf War. Very interesting time. After I retired, I got hired by the U.S. House of Representatives as the uh, Director of Communications. And so that was a, a very cool and interesting job uh, where we ran the, all the networks, the, the lo- local area networks, the wide area network. Most people probably don't realize that the, in addition to the Capitol Hill grounds uh, and offices there, uh, all of the members have multiple district offices back in their home states, and there's about eight or 900 of them. And so we provided wide area network support to those uh, eight or 900 district offices, local telephone support or small office support. We also ran the uh, basically the, uh, the telephone company for Capitol Hill, uh, did all the emergency communications, particularly after 9-11. There's a lot of money and interest put into that. And I did that until about 2009, and then I um, became the uh, chief information officer, the CIO for the U.S. Capitol Police. And while there, we built a brand new uh, radio system for the Capitol Police that covers the 10 by 10, you know, DC Diamond and some other local areas. And uh, not only was it an outdoor system, but it had an indoor distributed antenna system throughout the uh, the Capitol building itself and the uh, the House office buildings. That was a very, very interesting and challenging job because uh, we had to get so many different permissions from so many different groups to put interior antennas 
inside the Capitol building. Uh, you know, they, they were concerned that, that we would put it in, in some artwork or something like that, or that it wasn't well hidden. So we, we devised ways to hide antennas, to disguise them. And the other thing is that the Capitol building was not built for electricity, for wires, so you had to figure out how you're going to wire it all up. Uh, it was a very challenging uh, process, but I got to go through every nook and cranny of the U.S. Capitol doing that position. And uh, once I, I retired from the U.S. Capitol Police, um, I was uh, at home in Annapolis enjoying uh, my, my retirement, only a, a few months retired. And I got a phone call from uh, Secretary Garcia, who at the time was the Secretary of, of Information Technology for the state of Maryland. And he wanted me to come into his office just to chat. And uh, I had no idea why. And so um, I went there, it was downtown Annapolis, and they said, uh, we heard that you successfully built this uh, radio system for U.S. Capitol Police, and that the, uh, the state of Maryland is doing the same thing, and we want you to do that for Maryland. And they said the job was in Annapolis. I lived in Annapolis, short commute. And I said, okay, I'll do it. I, I always wanted to work in Annapolis, so I decided to do that. And now it's uh, five and a half years later, and uh, still still doing it. Cert so, certainly a better commute than uh, than driving to D.C. every day. Most yeah. definitely. In fact, when our office was still in Annapolis, there were a couple days in the summertime where I commuted by driving my boat to downtown Annapolis at the Dinghy Pier and tying up to the Dinghy Pier and walking to my office instead of having to drive. That's a heck of a, that's, that's a much, much more ideal commute. Hey, one thing that I wanted to ask you as you were talking about your background is, are you familiar with Nelson Moe, who's the CIO of Virginia? I mean, funny that you mentioned him, Nelson. I hired Nelson at the U.S. Capitol <laughs> oh. Police. So uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I take that. I hired him at the U.S. House of Representatives to be one of my branch managers in charge of network engineering. It's so funny, you know, as you're talking about your background, I'm thinking, you know, Nelson is a member of NASIO's executive committee, certainly a friend of this podcast. And Nelson was a submarine officer and, yep. uh, you know, was CIO in the House of Representatives. So I figured there must be some some connection there. Yep. Yep. I, I hired him. I think it was um, 2000 or 2001 time frame on there. And he's a great guy. And um, I'm glad he uh, eventually fleeted up to uh, the CIO of, of the House. And, while, and, and, and that's while I was CIO of um, U.S. Capitol Police. Fantastic. It, so. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'm going to get us a little bit back on track, but, but thanks for telling us about your background story. Super, super interesting. So we're talking about our, the award-winning project. So tell us what led Maryland to develop the Maryland First Responder Radio System Team, or Maryland First, and, and how were first responders communicating before this project began? Well, to answer that first, uh, basically, uh, first responders, particularly state agencies, they each had their own separate radio system. Mm -hmm. So they were on different frequency bands, different technologies, and, and none of them could talk to each other. I wasn't at the state at that time, but I can see that there were uh, cultures within agencies of that people just wanted to talk to themselves. You know, they didn't want to talk to anybody else. And then 9-11 happened. And that was the catalyst. And it provided the, uh, the political will and direction to, you know, overcome the status quo of where uh, each agency was doing its own thing. And that coupled with the fact that these various state agency radio systems were either at their end of life 
uh, or coming near it and needed to be replaced, that developed a need to, uh, well, let's do a, a single statewide interoperable radio system. And it's probably also cost, too, because uh, a lot of these other s- systems are older technologies, that, uh, analog systems that were one-tenth the cost of new digital technologies. And so I think there was a realization that uh, every agency can't buy their own system, and we needed to interoperate. So Maryland First was born, I think, around 2000. 2008-2010 time frame was when the contract was let. Got it. And when were you brought on? I came on in 2015. Got it. So without getting too technical for me and as well for our listeners, Norm, can you tell us about how Maryland First works exactly? Well, first off, Maryland First is not your grandfather's or your father's radio system. I mean, it is a complex digital computer network. It's a uh, Motorola uh, system based on the uh, P25 phase two standards. Essentially the last mile, what they call the RF or the radio portion of it. The remaining part is an IT system, you know, connected by an extensive uh, backhaul network of fiber and microwave. Uh, There's about 150 actual sites around the states. Uh, They're all connected to uh, multiple cores and disaster recovery cores, so there's a lot of redundancy built into the system. Every county has its own, what they call a simulcast cell, which is various sites that operate on the same frequency, where in the old days, they would teach you that that was the wrong thing to do because of timing issues. When you receive a radio signal from a various site at a different range, it would cause interference. Well, Motorola has a super technology where they've been able to nullify the timing issue and make simulcast cells work. Where that is good is that you don't need as many frequencies. You can share the same frequencies uh, amongst multiple sites. We also have some standalone sites that operate on different frequency. And so in that case, if there is a casualty, as part of the redundancy, if there is a casualty to a simulcast site, well, you still have some of these standalones that will still give a, a good coverage throughout the area. I know that I've gotten too technical or not with that no, explanation. That's, that's good. But bottom line, what makes it neat is uh, you can have a, an officer, a public safety officer, who's out in the mountains in Deep Creek Lake, Maryland, and he can talk on the radio to an officer in Ocean City. And it's routed through the network, picked up by the whatever antenna that the, or tower that the, uh, the officer in Deep Creek Lake is at. The system routes it through the network and broadcasts it out onto the tower that the, uh, that the officer in Ocean City is located, the nearest one he's located, and boom, and sends them the, the traffic on it. So it's a pretty nifty system. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm curious, what has the feedback from the users of the system been? And does it require a lot of additional training or is it pretty intuitive for those that are using it? Very positive. The system works great. The users are happy. In fact, we've got some uh, 26,000, almost 27,000 primary users on the system and uh, another 45,000 interoperable users, which they normally spend most of their time on their own system. Uh, These are like federal or counties or even out of state, but they have the ability to jump onto our system for interoperability. So we've had a lot of positive statements, results from, from people. They're, they're happy. 
We're working on a coverage improvement program where, you know, computer models would dictate, okay, this is what the coverage would look like. So you put your antennas in these sites, or your, I should say your towers. Then when you actually go to live, you see what the true coverage is. We're finding out where the holes are. We're plugging those holes by adding additional sites. So the, our users are liking that. As far as training, the back office, what we call the back office portion of the system, is managed by my staff in Motorola. Uh, They were already trained on that. For the users, uh, using what they call the subscriber radios, what most people would call the walkie-talkie radio, one or two hours of training is all that's needed to uh, teach them how to use the radio. It has a lot of uh, capabilities, so it's not the, like, which buttons to press, but they have to make the choices or the issues of what talk groups are they going to use, what tactical top groups. They have to make those kinds of decisions. That's at an operator level operations, but not on the technical side. Okay, gotcha. So in your award submission to NASIO, you guys talk about how you discovered that the FCC had not identified any radio frequencies in the traditional public safety radio bands for aviation use and how you overcame that. Walk us through that situation and um, your solution. Okay, well, that happened way before my time, so I don't want to take any credit for any of the excellent work that was done by my predecessors. Fair enough. But back in, um, I guess it was around a 2009 time frame, they saw that there were no 700 megahertz frequencies reserved for the air-to-ground to do air-to-ground operations. So we went through the the process of uh, getting the FCC to modify the rules. And that was probably the hardest part of it, to go through the federal FCC process. And uh, people at the time, they went through all the frequencies and they actually found uh, eight pairs of frequencies that were no longer used for their original purpose. They went to various other uh, stakeholders like the uh, National Public Safety Telecommunications Council to uh, get support for this idea of reserving these frequencies for air to ground. So they went through that process and they finally got the uh, FCC to grant a waiver in 2012 for Maryland to use it. And I think uh, in 2014, the FCC amended the rules uh, that allowed uh, all eight frequency pairs to be used throughout the entire U.S. and its territories. So, in essence, the efforts made by those individuals uh, back then not only gave the air-to-ground frequencies for Maryland, but it gave it for the entire country. So, that was it. Took about six years to get this process done. Wow! But uh, it was very successful in doing it. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Well, Norm, we've come to the segment of our podcast where we like to get to know you a little bit better as a person, not just as a public safety mastermind, in a segment we like to call The Lightning Round. Uh Uh-oh. Are you ready? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. That was a little bit of a a little hesitancy, Norm, but don't don't be afraid. We've got some good questions for you. Okay. Uh, All right. So first question. Uh, Maryland has varied terrain from the western mountains to the eastern shore. What's your favorite spot in the state? Uh, that's a dangerous question since I got to take care of the whole state. But, but you're not but, a politician. But, but I'm not a politician. <laughs> so I was born and raised in Annapolis, Maryland. And so I would say downtown uh, Annapolis, uh, colonial Annapolis is probably my, my favorite spot. It's, uh, it's hard state. to disagree with you on that yeah. one. All right. Question number two. Top three favorite musical genres 
And bonus points if you want to mention any favorite bands or artists. Oh, gosh. I like easy listening, 80s, top 40. Dude, I used to like the Beach Boys when I was in college. Anything that that you could dance the jitterbug to uh, on there. All good music to listen to on your boat, my friend. That's right. All right. And last question. Amy and I are always searching for new book or TV recommendations. What do you have for us? Well, let me see. I'm currently reading a book called Sea Stories by uh, Admiral Bill McRaven, who was the uh, admiral in charge of JSOC during the uh, uh, killing of uh, Osama bin Laden. And what's unique is that Bill McRaven was a a housemate of mine in school. Uh, And so it was nice reading his, I mean, we were great friends. and It was nice reading what was basically his uh, autobiography during his time in the Navy. And for TV show, um, I like The Expanse, which is on Amazon Prime. Uh, I don't know whether you've, you've seen it or not. It's a sci-fi space series. What makes it different or interesting is that most of your you know, space adventure type TV series like Star Trek or Star Wars or whatever, they occur during the, the time period where interstellar travel is relatively normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, to do. Uh, the Expanse occurs during a time period where we're still exploring the solar system and colonizing Mars and the uh, uh, the moons of the outer planets, the asteroids. It also deals with issues of, of people who start living in space for their entire lifetime where uh, they no longer have the effect of gravity and so how that affects their sociology and the fact that they can't even return to Earth because of the, the gravity is too much for them. Wow. So it's a very interesting program. It used to be on sci-fi or, or network, and it, after three seasons or so, it got canceled. And because, shoot, I just forgot his name. Who's the guy who owns Amazon? Jeff uh, Bezos. Jeff He's going Be- to space soon, too. <laughs> exactly, because Jeff Bezos likes space so much. Uh <laughs> He picked up the uh, the program and did an extra season. I think another one is coming out soon because he liked The Expanse so much. I'm going to have to so check that out. It's nice being a billionaire where you can just go buy your own TV show. Uh, yeah, or go to space. Right. Or, go, or, or go to space. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> Very cool. Great. Well, Norm, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about the important work that you're doing in Maryland. We love hearing about these kinds of projects, and I know our listeners do too. Thanks again. Great. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Norm. See ya. Thanks again for listening to NACIO Voices. We'll put a link to the Maryland First Award submission in our show notes. You can find our entire award library full of exciting state IT projects in NACIO's award library on our website at nacio.org. Have a great week, and we'll talk with you next time. Bye-bye. Oh, and before we keep going... um. Your assistant referred to you as Norm. I wanted to make sure that is what you preferred. Y- yes, I, I normally go by by Norm. Okay, good. Don't want to like make you overly familiar to us if that's not <laughs> no, what you prefer. No, that's that's when I enter into the bars. That's what they yell at me. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Okay. <laughs>